it's not Job, for those of you who haven't read Job before, it is the book of Job, but we're going to be in the last chapter. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have a load of scriptures to put on the screen tonight for you. I've done all the work for you. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible this evening if you would like to, um, <clears throat> but I have done the work. It's up on the screen. Our text verse is coming out of the final chapter and the final verses. We're looking at Job 42, verses 12 through 17. And the Bible says, and so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jimiah. The name of the second was Kiziah. The name of the third was Karen Habak. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job 140 years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. The book of Job, guys, is made up of 42 chapters. It has 1,070 verses and 10,102 words. It is considered the oldest book of the Bible and is one of the greatest books in the Bible on the sufferings of Israel during the Great Tribulation. There is one chapter for each month of Great Tribulation, which is 42 chapters or 42 months. Now, Tribulation period in all is seven years, but half of that is three and a half years or 1,260 days or 42 months, whichever way you want to say it, it's all the same. It's all based on a biblical year. A biblical year is 360 days, not 365. Our calendar has been changed to add and take away days here and there because of certain Caesars in the world, and it is what it is. But you think about a complete circle is what? 360, okay? So a biblical year is 360 days, and that's where you get the 42 months. It's where you get the 1260 days we read about in the book of Revelation. In Job, guys, we know that Job was on the ground seven days and seven nights. Job 2.13 says, so they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word in him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, that is one day for each year of the full tribulation period, also known in prophecy as Daniel's 70th week. I'm just giving you this as a tidbit of a foundation, guys. Uh, I preached this this morning, and I... Um, uh, I, I went over in a great way, um, but too much detail on the front end, so I've taken a lot of it out, amen? And, uh, but the name Job means one persecuted, and it's just like Israel will be in the tribulation period. We know that Job uh, is in the land of Edom, and we know, that we know that because we found out in chapter 1, verse 1, he's in the land of Uz. Lamentations chapter 4, verse 21 says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwellest in the land of Uz, the cup also shall pass uh, through unto thee. Thou shalt be drunken and shall make thyself uh, naked. Job chapter 1 verse 1 opened up and says there was a man in the land of us. What are we doing? We're establishing the biblical principle of where Job is and the reality of his book and why it is important to us. The author of the book of Job is Elihu. He is the author. We see this by his own confession. When I had waited... For they spake not, but stood still, and answered not, uh, no more. So that's his own admission in Job 32, 16, Elihu. This is his time to speak. He waited till everyone else was finished. His own exclusion in Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 10, we find that he mentions the three friends. And uh, that's in verse 7 of chapter 42. 
saying all that, guys, just to establish that we have an eyewitness to the accounts of Job, a young man, the youngest of all the group that has sat there listening and waiting for his time to speak. Now, here's the funny part is we know for a fact, and I have four conclusive reasons that I'm not going to go over tonight, but if you're ever interested, let me know, that the book of Job was written, written well before 1700 B.C., okay? As a matter of fact, it was written a long time before that, uh, hundreds of years prior. So as the text stands, Job 32, 16, we have a book written on the spot by an eyewitness named Elihu, and the book will give us a firsthand account of the heart and the core and the drama of life, not just Job's life. See, we understand the, the prophetical uh, aspect of the book of Job. We can't get past that. It is a picture of what Israel will go through during the tribulation period, of which the church will not be here, okay? That's dispensational teaching. I spent seven weeks on the Wednesday night midweek service teaching the dispensations. If you're interested in that, go online and grab it. It's a very good study, and it'll allow you to put the square pegs into the square holes and the round pegs into the round holes in your Bible. But we don't only see the, the prophetical aspect of the book of Job, the doctrinal aspect, if you will, how, how it entails and, uh, with Israel and the situation that they will go through and what is applied unto them. But Job deals with the roots of human nature. When you sit where Job sat, we read that in Job chapter 2, verse 8. When you sit where he sat, in the condition that he is in, there is nothing in this world to offer. There is nothing this world can alleviate. There's nothing this world can solve the basic problems of suffering. The world can't offer that. The world can bring you a temporary solution. They can give you a plaster, if you will. They can give you something that will make you feel better for a small and short period of time. So it's appropriate for us to say, one of the reasons I mentioned all that I did about the foundation of the book of Job it's appropriate for us to say that Job is the first and the oldest real book ever written that should deal with the situations that would deal with pain and suffering, which are common to the lot of this life. And even when privation and agony do not reach uh, the peak of Job's experiences in our life, we understand when you look, if you study out the book of Job and you see what he experienced and you watch what he dealt with and you see how uh, the things that he lost and all of these different things, we begin to stop and think, hey, hang on a second here. My goodness, man, this is quite miserable. Even if our life doesn't reach that level of turmoil, still disease, suffering, bereavement, tears, misunderstanding, rebuke, Worry, anguish, pain, and death are still common to the lot of man. The world is still a velleteers, as one author put it. Politics, government, socialism, education, they've done nothing to convert anything or to change this position. It is what it is. It doesn't matter who's going to be in parliament. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in what leadership. It doesn't matter anything at all. This world is going to be painful at times. That doesn't mean it can't be beautiful. That doesn't mean it can't be wonderful. That doesn't mean that it can't be enjoyable. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that there is a valley of a veil of tears that we all will go through in our life continually. So back to our text verses here this evening. I want us to look at, at two particular things, in all fairness, as we work to our three points tonight. I look down in verse 15. It's on our screen. And it says, in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job and their father gave them an inheritance among the brethren, or their, or their brethren, 
And I want you to notice these next few words. After this lived Job 140 years. After everything he went through, after all of his loss, after this, Job lived. He was blessed before the problems, and he was blessed afterwards. Job's life verse, if you will, would be found in verse, chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. What was his own ways? Well, Job 1 tells us that he was perfect and upright and eschewed evil. Job 2 tells us the same thing. Though he slay me, I will trust in him, Job said. After all the suffering, Job was blessed with twice the amount of substance in his life. In Job 1.3, the Bible says his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And then we find in chapter 42 that it says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. Job got twice as everything that he ever got before. What a blessing that is, amen? In our text, the Bible tells us that he, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. We see that in Job chapter 1 and verse 2. And in our text, in chapter 42, verse 13, what does it say? He had also seven sons and three daughters. He didn't get new sons and daughters. Again, that goes back into why Job is so important to understand the foundational principle of why it's there, that it applies to the nation of Israel doctrinally and how it applies to that great tribulation and how it applies to that period. Because we're going to have what's known as tribulational saints in the tri- uh, at the end of the trib. The remnant of Israel will be spared. They will be saved. And at the end of the tribulation period, God's going to bring forth those martyrs that lost their head for the name of Christ, that refused the mark of the beast, and they're going to be resurrected. Job's original children were resurrected. They were restored unto life. I heard a man preach one time, man, he got twice as many of everything. No, he did not. He didn't get twice as many children. He got the same children back, amen. I mean, let's be honest, guys. You've had all, if you got twice the substance and you were greater than the greatest now of the East and you got seven new children, but they're not your old ones, there's not a whole joy in that. You can't replace, you know, they're not wall sockets, amen. They're children and they all are individual. I'm saying all that to make this point, beloved. I believe our preaching should be biblical. In the leaf of my Bible, I have a reminder, a three-point directive to preaching that I believe it should always be by God's grace. It should be, bibli- it should be biblically sound. As long as I have my cognitive abilities, I will never purposely step outside of the bounds of the Holy Scripture for nothing or anyone. Number two, it should be practically applicable. I think you ought to be able to take tonight, and when you walk through the door this evening, you need to be able to apply it into your life somehow, some way. And number three, it needs to be eternally focused. Beloved, at the end of our days, we are looking for the Lord to come back. We are looking for him to take us out of this world. We are looking to be united with the Savior who was sent here to die on the cross to save our souls. So the point here tonight is to preach biblically sound, not what sounds good or what evangelistically makes you feel better or what entertains you or just with great energy. 
we need to look at what the Word of God says that we can apply it into our life. So as we look back at Job, as we look at his end, having suffered in all the manner that he did, we understand in his life all the problems, all the dark days, all the depressions. After this, what did he do? What are you going to do after your problems? I've met with people times, especially in years past, I've met with people, you know, week after week after week after week with the same continual problem, dealing with the same situation, give them a solution to apply, and they come, and there's always, I started finding there was always a loophole, no matter what kind of instruction, counsel, Bible verse, whatever it was, they were always coming back to the same issue. And one time I leaned across my table, I'm saying, here's the problem. If you've held on to this issue so long in your life, it now identifies you. And you're afraid to get rid of it because you're afraid to lose your identity. What are you going to do after the problems cease? You're going to hold on to it? You're going to sit here and say, nope, I'm going to keep it. This is mine. What about your ministry? After your ministry? after your life, after unhappiness, or after joy, after all the things that we experience every single day. For Job and the struggles that he went through after this, Job lived. He lived, guys. Bring a truth to you tonight. The very first thing that we find that Job lived after the trouble. He lived after the trouble. In Job chapter 3 and verses 3 through 8, the Bible says this. This is where Job is, right here on the front end of all of this suffering. He says, let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said there is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the, the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for the night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined to the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let not joyful voice, uh, let no joyful voice come therein. And let them curse it, that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Job was at a breaking point. By the time we get to chapter 3, Satan had already presented himself before the, lo- the Lord, and he says, you know, you know, does Job fear thou for not? I mean, he fears you for nothing. You've set ahead protection, done this and that. You've blessed him. You've given all these things. He said, take everything away from him. He'll curse you to your face. The Lord said, go ahead. Go ahead. Take all his substance. And he did. Took everything. Took his substance. Took his children. His children died. His wife didn't die, by the way. The devil left her around so she could sit there and say, curse God and die. Because she does say that later on. Job chapter 2 shows us that Satan showed up again. He said, oh, guess Job had maintained his integrity and never sinned. Shows up before the Lord and he says, you know, hey, look, you take away his health. Let me take away his health. He'll curse you to your face. The Lord said, go ahead, take his health, but you can't kill him. And he took his health. And in all of that, Job sinned not. But it doesn't change the fact that he wasn't at a breaking point. It doesn't change the fact that he was cursing the day that he was born, that he was in the midst of darkness and depression. Guys, listen, he said, curse the day that when his conception was announced. The Apostle Paul went through similar events in his ministry. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8 says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even life. People will read over that verse because we know Paul. We know who Paul was. We know uh, he's the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the planet. Uh, in, in my eyes, he is a superhero. He is who they are. And he's the man that you want to be when you grow up. That's who the Apostle Paul is. And yet now we read this verse and we got to stop and go, despair at even life? The word despair means complete loss or absence of hope. Paul had zero, the greatest missionary to walk the face of the planet was at a point in his life where he had no hope whatsoever. The same boots that Job, that Job was in. As a matter of fact, uh, when he's at this breaking point, he's just wanting to die. I want you to notice what he says to the Thessalonian church. He says, uh, uh, he says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. No man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourself know that we are appointed thereunto. Paul's comforting the Thessalonians to not be moved by the trouble that he experienced in their land to plant a church in their city, to see souls saved, and to go through all the things that he did simply by saying this, we're appointed unto these things. I mentioned this yesterday in Faith Rx. We live in a fallen world, guys. We live in a broken world. And the struggles and the trials and the troubles that you and I are going through in our life, it's not just built for the Christian world. Everybody goes through them. Troubles are universal. Troubles and, uh, and problems and, and the things that we're dealing with, guys, they are appointed unto mankind because we simply live in a fallen world. We can come in here on a Saturday night and we can sing songs and we can shout it out and, man, we can high-five one another and pray with one another and hug one another. We can have a joyful time for 60 to 70 minutes in here all together, one with another. But when you go through those doors right there, just because you're alive, you're appointed under some afflictions. It's not about when they're going to happen. I mean, it's not about if, it's about when they're going to happen. But Paul doubled down. Job doubled down. He didn't quit. He didn't cut and run. He didn't walk away. He didn't leave from obeying the Lord. He didn't say, I didn't get what I want, so let me just hightail it out of here. Guys, you know what? If you don't get what you want from point A here, and that's the reason you run away from something, once you get to point B, you're not going to get what you want there either because it ain't there. You're chasing something that's not present because troubles are always going to be around. What, you know, after the trouble... Live Job. Job lived after the trial, guys. He lived after the trial. Now, troubles and trials are two different things. In Job chapter 7, verse 17 and 18 says, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning, watch this, and try him every moment. I've already mentioned that Satan came to the Lord twice seeking to try Job, and the Lord gave him permission, yet he set the boundaries in play. You ever wonder why in our world that these things happen? Sometimes it's the spilling of coffee or the dropping of the keys on the way out the door. Everybody been there before? I've been there plenty of times. Drop the keys, bend over to pick them up, spill the coffee, knock something else over, bump your head on the wall, go through the doorway, hit your shoulder, and you're just like... Mm. And you just got to stop for a second. Go, okay, all right, just stop. <laughs> let's, let's just recollect ourselves here and let's start over. 
sometimes, guys, honestly, the, 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 the trials in our life, there's sometimes, I know it's a moment, spilling the coffee and dropping the keys and hitting the wall. I know it doesn't seem like it's a small thing, but in the grand scheme of things, it is small. Sometimes our trials are large. They're devastating. They're life-altering. What's the purpose of a trial? A plan for trials in our life. It was King David who wrote the beautiful psalm of God's God's omnipresence, his, his omniscience in Psalm 139. And he says, search me, O God. Know and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. King David, again, you know, someone loved by God in a great way, was asking the Lord to try him, to prove him, prove his thoughts and his love toward God. He was asking for the trial. I want you to know my heart, Lord. James gives us the reason for the trials. He says in uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying, there's your trial, of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Guys, if, you know, the trial will come into our life, and when it comes into our life, that is when we are to allow patience to have her perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. I can think of no greater man in history when it comes to patience than Job. And as a matter of fact, it's even quoted, it's even referenced as such as one of his attributes in James chapter 5, verse 11, saying, Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Think about this for just a second here tonight. James references here about Job. He doesn't reference the reception of two times the substance or the resurrection of his children. He doesn't reference uh, uh, the trials of verse 1, and I mean, chapter 1 and chapter 2, the, the heart. He, doesn't, he references the end of Job and what he dealt with in the beginning or in the middle of all the suffering, the patience of Job. That's what stood out. So my friend, there are going to be trials in our life, and some are going to be daily, whilst others are, are, are going to be sporadically, seeming without purpose, but you need to understand there is always a plan for the trial that comes into your life. There's always a purpose behind the trial, and it's rooted and it's built up to strengthen our faith. Let me say this to you, Job lived after the trial. Lastly, tonight we find that Job lived after the temptation. In Job chapter 3 and verse 25, the Bible says, For the, the thing which, great, which I greatly feared is to come upon me, but that which I was afraid of has come unto me. So I ask you an honest question tonight as we start to work down to the close of the message. You think Job ever wanted to quit? You think he wanted just to cut and run? I mean, do you think Job was, I mean, guys, listen, do you think Job just wanted to flee and get away from the heartache, thinking that if he would just get away from the certain situation, maybe it'd be easier? Sure, I think it crossed his mind. He was human. He dealt with human qualities. Paul reminds us here, he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Now, you may never go through anything like Job, and I pray to God that none of us go through anything like Job. 
But even if you do, someone has gone through it before you, and someone, maybe not all, have come through it and lived afterwards. James says of Elijah, he says, um, he says Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Elijah. I mean, after one of the greatest victories in the history of Elijah's ministry, probably I would say one of the greatest victories ever seen in the Bible, where 450 of the prophets of Baal were slain, fire came down from heaven, all this, that. Then he prayed, and then the three-and-a-half-year drought came to an end. I mean, one of the greatest victories, all of a sudden Jezebel says that she's going to, you know, she's going to have you dead before the end of the day. And Elijah, a man of like passion, what did he do? He picked up and he fled. He took off for the hills. And 1 Kings 19 tells us, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is not enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. These are pillars of the word of God. I mean, these are heroes of history. Elijah, are you kidding me? I mean, we talk about prophecy, guys. Elijah is one of the two witnesses that comes back during the tribulation period, Elijah and Moses. That's how, what kind of man. Elijah shows up on the Mount Transfiguration with Jesus Christ, man. I mean, come on, man. And here he is saying, just take it away. I'm done. He went through heartache. He went through struggles. He went through depressing times. Prayed for rain. And it came after three years drowned. He had troubles. He had trials. He had temptations. So he's been through it. Beloved, Job lost it all. He lost his fortune, lost his family, and finally he loses his fitness. And yet at the end of the day, this is what we read about Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. You see, beloved, at the end of the day, we need to understand that all three, troubles, trials, and temptations, have their reason in our life. Psalm 102 speaks of these troubles. It speaks of these trials and the temptations. It was in my scripture writing this week, and I added it into the sermon for whatever reason, but I think it really speaks of it. You get a chance to read Psalm 102 in full. The desire to cut and run, the desire to quit, the desire to pull up stakes and run away because things aren't going the way you want them to. But we read in Psalm 102 that says this, My days are like a shadow that declineth. I am withered like grass. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Even in the darkest of times, when life has seemingly withered you away, the Lord remembers us. What do you think was on Job's heart and his mind when he lost it all? I'm sure he was heartbroken when he lost his substance, his children. He was heartbroken when he lost his health. He was heartbroken. But the whole time his focus was in the same place that psalmist had in, in Psalm 102. He says, but thou, O Lord, shall endure forever and thy remembrance unto all generation. After all the things that Job went through, he understood that the Lord remembered him. That the Lord knew him. And that, my friend, is why Job, after this, lived. He lived. He went through the heartache and the pain and the darkness and the depression. and the dis- He went through it all. But my friend, he lived. His fortune was returned two times over. His children were restored into life. And Job lived. And that's what I want to convey to you tonight. 
We are living in a broken world, and things may be running on all cylinders right now, and things may be great and wonderful and happy, and praise God if they are. I hope they are. But when the days come when they're not running that well, when the days come when the troubles and the trials and the tribulations are there, their temptations are there, understand, go back to the life of Job and say, you know what? He saw this whole thing through. He saw the trial. He saw the temptation. He saw the trouble. He got through it, and at the end of it, Man, he lived. So are you in troubles tonight, guys? The troubles are going to pass, and you can live. Are you in trials tonight? Are you going through something that there's a trying of your faith, a trying of your heart, a trying of your mind? You will get through them. They will come to pass if you'll remain steadfast, and you'll live. And maybe you're in a temptation tonight, a temptation just to give up and quit, a temptation to stop. It will pass and you will live. The alternative is to lay down, quit, and shut yourself off and run off. And, and, and if that be the case, you won't have the closing statement that Job had. After this lived Job. So no one has been through it like Job has, guys. No one has experienced such tragic events so close one to another. And still, at the end of his days, he lived. So be it troubles, trials, or temptation, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you tonight to keep moving. Keep serving. Keep praying. Remain steadfast. Be faithful. And afterwards, no matter what, no matter trial, trouble, or temptation, afterwards, by all means, live. This life is a gift. And God has given it unto us. It's a precious life. And every breath we take, every heartbeat we have, every glance, every single thing, every sensation, whatever it may be, every moment, every second of the day is a gift from God Almighty. And we need to recognize it as such. And in doing so, man, let's live the life that God has given us in the place he has put us, through the troubles, through the trials, and victoriously over the temptations. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here this evening. We pray that you would take the message, apply it into our hearts. Let us learn from it, dear God. Let us be mindful of, of what may be in the upcoming days, weeks, years, months, whatever it may be. But, Father, let us think back to the life of Job and his patience. And let us live after them all. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. I do hope and pray that the preaching and teaching was a blessing to your heart tonight, and uh, I know that was, I know it was it was dear to me uh, in working on that. So I hope that it was a blessing to you guys. Let's stand.